Hi there, welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am Father Patrick Wainwright, and thank you for joining us today. In today's episode, we will be speaking about how the Catholic Church is truly a spiritual family, a communion of saints. I love sports, and I love watching sports, or at least most sports. Of course, I don't always have the time nowadays as I'm a priest, and uh, I'm most of the time either preaching or giving spiritual direction. So, uh, and also I cannot even actually play most of the sports that I like. Now, one event that really attracts my attention are the Olympic Games. Now, these last years with COVID-19 pandemic situation, many athletes had to compete without having the support of their family with them on site. However, they try to allow parents and family not only to watch their athletes compete in real time, but sometimes even to communicate with them, to show them their moral support. In fact, it made a big difference in the spirit of the athletes to know that their family was with them spiritually, even if not physically. Now, something similar happens to us as members of the church. The Catholic Church is not just a group of people spread out around the world with no other connection than that of believing similar truths and trying to live out similar moral principles. The Catholic Church is much more than that. It is a body, the body of Christ. It is a mystical body of Christ in which Christ is the head. And because he is the head, we are his members. As St. Paul said to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. Moreover, our Lord himself referred to this intimate union that there is between himself and all those who are baptized. When he said in the Last Supper, as he was speaking about him being the true vine, And all of us, his disciples being the branches, we read in chapter uh, 15 of St. John, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. So with regard to the baptized, all the baptized, forming one body, and the body of Christ having as head Christ himself, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says the following, Since all the faithful form one body, the good of each is communicated to the others. So we must believe that there exists a communion of goods in the Church. But the most important member is Jesus Christ, since he is the head. Therefore, the riches of Christ are communicated to all the members through the sacraments. As this church is governed by one and the same Holy Spirit, so all the goods she has received necessarily became, become a common fund. Up to there, the Catechism. So, when we speak about the communion of saints, we refer to two ideas or principles, if you want. On the one hand, 
there is a communion of spiritual goods. And on the other hand, there's a communion among the people who are members of this body of Christ. So the Catholic Church is indeed a family in which there is a certain connection with the people that are alive and even with the people who have passed away and are still members of the church. And there is a common source of spiritual goods of which we all partake. So the church, which is conformed by all the baptized, has three stages. The church triumphant, which is made up by all those who have been saved and are in heaven contemplating God. Then the purgative church, which is made up by all those who have died and are saved, but are still in purgatory in a process of purification before entering heaven. And then finally, the church militant, which is made up by all the members of the Catholic Church who are still alive today and are enduring the daily struggle in order to reach heaven after this uh, early life, this journey in this early life. So the members of the church triumphant are like our older brothers and sisters in Christ, who not only are examples for us, but also intercede for us before God with their prayers. Then the members of the purgative church cannot do any meritorious acts, nor pray for us just yet, as they need to purify themselves before entering heaven. And then you and I, and all the members of the church militant, are still here on this earth, striving daily to live holy lives, I hope, and so to reach heaven. So we can pray to the saints in heaven asking for their intercession, so that we may obtain the necessary graces to be saved, and we can trust that their prayers will be more effective than our prayers. And this is why we ask for the intercession of the saints, and we can, we are allowed to ask for the intercession of the saints. Now, we also can do something good. We can help the souls that are in purgatory by offering our prayers, our sacrifices, and especially by offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass on their behalf to reduce their time in purgatory, to reduce that, the time of purification that they have to spend in purgatory. So this connection or communion between the faithful on earth and the saints in heaven can be seen in what happened in the life of St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More was born in 1478 in London, England, and he was executed by order of King Henry VIII in 1535, also in London. He was a lawyer, a philosopher, and a writer, and under King Henry VIII, he became Lord Chancellor of the Kingdom of England. Around that time, Henry VIII decided to divorce his legitimate wife, Catherine of Aragon, and wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. But because the Pope at the time would not grant an annulment of the marriage, Henry decided to break off from Rome and become the head of the Church of England, a sort of schism. Everyone in England was then obliged to approve of the divorce and sign a statement accepting King Henry as the head of the Church of England or be declared a traitor to the kingdom. 
Now, because St. Thomas More was unwilling to pronounce himself in favor or against the marriage publicly, right? He was removed from his office, arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London. And there was going to be a trial against him to try to force him or convince him to approve the king's actions. The trial against St. Thomas More started on July 1st, 1535. He had been kept in the Tower of London for some time now, and the poor conditions had taken a toll on his health and his emotional strength. He was really exhausted and overwhelmed because of his impending execution. The court had to find a legal, so to speak, way to find him guilty, and St. Thomas More knew that the verdict had already been decided. In one of the lives of St. Thomas More, I read how before his last appearance before the court, the judges and the jury, he began to waver and doubt whether he would be strong enough to stand his ground and defend the truth of the Catholic Church. So he asked to pray before entering the court. And in his mind, he could see the court members and the judges and the jury, all of whom knew him well and who would be willing to pronounce the sentence condemning him to death. So the feeling was overwhelming to him. However, as he prayed, he also remembered how there was a whole other court, the heavenly court, made up by Jesus Christ, the saints and the angels, looking down from heaven, cheering him on and interceding before God to give him strength. And this thought comforted him and gave him the strength to be you know, firm. And so he was able to face his enemies who had already decided on his execution. Another moment to highlight of the last months and days of St. Thomas More that also uh, is related to the communion of saints happened some days later. So finally, St. Thomas More was condemned to to die, and he was taken to the place of the execution on July 6th, 1535. The sentence was to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. That was the initial sentence. Now, due to his previous service to the kingdom, King Henry VIII had the sentence commuted to being beheaded. So after he climbed to the execution platform, Thomas More addressed the bystanders briefly. He told the crowd, I die the king's good servant and God's first. Those are his famous words, well known and documented. But he also asked the people to pray for him in this world and that he would pray for them in the next. And then before dying, he recited Psalm 51. So just as he promised to pray for those present there that day, I know that he will also pray for you if you ask him to do so. Many saints promised to pray for those who remained on earth, and we can be certain that they will pray for us and intercede for us before God. This is why I say that in this world, even if you, are, even if you seem to be abandoned by the whole world, you are really never alone. You're never alone. The saints and angels of God are with you to accompany you. 
So to finalize, I will read to you some words said by St. Therese of Lisieux. She expressed her desire to continue to help us from heaven with her prayers and her guidance. St. Therese knew that her death was approaching. She was suffering tuberculosis. So two months before her death in 1897, she said the following, I feel especially that my mission is about to begin. If God answers my desires, my heaven will be spent on earth until the end of the world. Yes, I want to spend my heaven in doing good on earth. Next episode, then, we will speak about the most eminent member of this mystical body of Christ, the Virgin Mary. She is your spiritual mother, and she will definitely never leave you alone. So you can only always count on her company and her support. So I hope you liked this episode, and if you have any questions about this or any other episode, uh, you can email me at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can, leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcast or in Spotify or actually in both platforms if you want, so that others may be also encouraged to listen as well. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.